Hey listeners, Blake here. Navigating today's economy feels like we're all sailing in the fog. We can't see too far ahead, but the waters have been relatively calm so far. Earlier this year, recession fears emerged like a storm brewing on the horizon. But the winds changed, and that threat passed almost as quickly as it came. Still, risks loom in the mist. Things like talent shortages, vulnerable banks, unpredictable inflation. You know, the usual suspects. To help make sense of all these conflicting signals, I spoke with Liz Wilkie, chief economist over at Gusto. Liz takes a nuanced, data-driven approach to evaluating our economic outlook. She's not afraid to challenge simplistic narratives either. We analyze things like recession odds, labor trends, interest rate impacts, and risks regional banks are facing these days. The forecast may be foggy, but I hope this overview equips you to navigate the waters ahead with your clients and make smarter decisions. All right, let's join my conversation with Gusto's chief economist, Liz Wilkie. Cheers. Cheers. Can we kick this off? Let's kick this off. Um, good morning, everyone. I am Blake Oliver, CPA, talking today with Liz Wilkie. It's been a wild year. Um, <laughs> two things spring to mind. AI taking over the world, potentially changing everything we do as accountants, as white-collar professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, and then right after that, we had Silicon Valley Bank collapsing and taking two other banks with it. Mm -hmm. And for a moment there, it was looking like we were going to have a recession, you know? For a quick moment. For like yeah. two weeks, we were all really freaking out. And then it, it kind of passed. And the recession has not materialized. We had a pretty nice summer, it seems mm -hmm. like, right? Uh, we had Barbie. We had Oppenheimer. You know, we had our blockbusters. Things seems like things are getting back to normal a little bit. It does seem like things are getting back to normal, except the, you know, I feel like we get these interludes between crises, right? ChatGPT took the world by storm. And then there was SVB. And, you know, we've had sort of a nice summer. People are feeling a little relaxed, but you have to ask the question, like, what's the next thing, right? right. Because I do think we're in sort of a period of turmoil and change. And I think we all really want to, you know, like go back to the normal and we really want to appreciate where we can just like take a sigh of relief. But uh, yeah, part of me is like, what's the next thing? Because there's going to be a next thing. You know, that's just the moment that we're in. So in your professional opinion, are we in for a soft landing or is the recession coming? Honestly, I'm pretty bullish on a soft landing. I think that if we have a recession, we're going to have you know, minus 1%, like we're going to sort of sit right at that 0% growth. And I honestly don't think it's coming till 2024 if it's coming at all. Okay. I think at the very beginning of the year, you know, when my economist friends and circles were like, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. I was like, these labor market numbers are at best drifting sideways, right? These consumers are spending so much money and I think they're really like the wind beneath the wings mm -hmm. for, you know, these jacked up interest rates. And I think they're really going to bring us into a soft landing or there's a lot of space for that to happen. Right. Which is exactly what Jerome Powell is counting on. So soft landing or mild recession yeah. is what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. But I think the most people, especially if you're younger, remember the 2008 recession. Right. So recession is like recession with a capital R. Yeah. Seems really big. Um, but recessions can be really mild. They can they can be technical recessions right, where people just feel a little like it's not as good as it could be, but it's right. really not so bad. And I think that's where we're headed. I don't think we're headed for a capital R recession. Oh, good. That's that's good because I have PTSD still from <laughs> the Great Recession. Um, 
not a good time to be graduating from college. It was a terrible so. time to be graduating yeah. from college. Although I know, a, I mean, a bunch of people went to grad school like right out. They were like, I'm out. I'm not going in this labor market. Yep, that's get some, some more education. A bunch of my friends became lawyers. That was the, mm-hmm. the go to. Okay, so recession, maybe, maybe we don't have one. Maybe we have a mild one. The cause of the next recession, right? We, we thought maybe it was going to be this SVB thing, mm-hmm. or it looked like that was going to set things up. Mm-hmm. And we were going to have this totally. banking contagion, and all the, the small banks were going to have trouble, and that's bad for business because small businesses yeah. they depend it, on those banks, depend on yeah. those regional banks. And it didn't happen. Um, why, why didn't we get that? How did we save the day? FDIC was enough. The Fed stepped in and everybody was like, okay, we're going to be all right. To be honest, kind of, yeah. I think um, they did their job. I I really do think that the Fed did their job in this case. I think that with the controls in place from the Dodd-Frank Act, I really do think there were a lot of lessons learned from the bank failures of the financial crisis. And, you know, to put it in perspective, the amount of money wrapped up in these three failed banks equals the amount of money in the financial crisis that failed. So the magnitude of the failure is totally on par, and we just did not see the fallout that we saw in 2008. And that is because of these improved governance standards that were put in from the Dodd-Frank Act. But the Fed came in and they did its job. They said, don't worry. We know how to solve this. Like, everybody's going to get their money back, right? And that really helped to calm the fear, right, that causes that contagion. And then they quietly transferred it to receivership and found a buyer. And then we could all sort of get on as normal. And I think it really, I don't think the Fed got the right kind of credit that I think it deserves, right, for dealing with the situation as smoothly as it did, because we had the almost exact same situation 13 years ago, and it was chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So we escaped this uh, immediate problem, Mm -hmm. the the, the, the Three banks went under, right? It was what? Mm-hmm. SCB, First Republic, SBB. First Signature. Yeah. Was the other one. The other banks, you know, didn't get impacted or they're okay. Um, but the underlying issue that caused all this, which is the interest rates going up, mm-hmm. that hasn't gone away. No. So it's, it's sort of like, you know, we've dealt with the symptoms mm-hmm. of this disease, but the underlying condition, which is these high interest rates that, that caused SVB to collapse, like that's still there. So... I mean, are we, are we really out of the woods? I would say there, the risk is still present, right? Which is what you're trying to say. The, the risk is still there. So a lot of banks, especially small and regional banks, have assets on their balance sheet, right? That were put on there way back when interest rates were really low. We'll talk about commercial real estate loans in this context, I expect, because it's sort of the elephant in the room yeah. for them. But the risk is going gonna, is gonna to be there. I think, honestly, it's sort of anybody's guess at this point how that's going to fall out. because. Whether or not it's going to be a calamity or kind of just like, you know, what has already happened, where it sort of silently and smoothly happens, it really depends on how much the Fed wants to step in, right, every single time this happens and facilitate. Honestly, what's probably going to be a bunch of mergers and acquisitions, right, in this space as that risk sort of unfolds. So just have the bigger banks get bigger, buy up the struggling smaller banks, and you solve the problem. Get the balance sheets in order that way. Is I don't. I saying? mean, you solve a problem, oh. right? With that, so 
One of two things I think is most likely to happen. Either small and community banks are going to come under stress because the real estate loans and the assets that they have will come under stress. And then they will either fail and go into receivership, right, like SVB, and then they'll be bought up, or the additional regulatory requirements that will be put on them because they were previously exempt, right? Small and regional banks didn't have to do the kind of stress testing, right, that bigger banks have to do. The Dodd-Frank exactly. stuff. Exactly, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, but so if the Fed is like, hey, there's all these risks and you guys need to be doing a lot more, you know, small and regional banks may say, we can't support that, right, and still serve our customers. So then they'll just sort of be bought up and there will be this consolidation. So you sort of solve some of the risk part in the financial system overall. But I think one of the real knock-on effects for small businesses is that where's their money going to come from, right? These relational banking systems are really, really important mm -hmm. to small businesses. Right. And if those businesses aren't there anymore, they're being run by B of A or Citibank, you know, what's going to happen to that source of finance for them? And I think that's the real open question that we need to think forward about how we're going to address. Yeah, that that's a... Not a great situation. I mean, mm -hmm. I I own a business. I've mm -hmm. had a firm, and trying to get B of A to give me the time of day, yeah. you know, is not something they do really for a small business. But that, you know, local bank who has like a person I mm -hmm. know in the community will talk to me. You know, will give me the the loan that I need to start my mm -hmm. business. Well, they understand your business. They yeah. understand the local market for your business, and they can have a real close eye on whether or not you're profitable. Right. I think especially if you're in you know, not a major city or you're in a rural area, you know, it can be really hard to know how successful your business can be, right? Which is how you want to make yeah. a loan. So we talked about interest rate. Mm -hmm. Interest rates staying high for a while seems to be like what what, what I'm hearing. Yeah, I think, think it's going to be gonna... high for a while. Okay. Yeah, because what uh, the the rule of thumb is the Fed can't lower interest rates while the job market is still hot, right? Like I mean, the not traditional... to put too fine a point on it, but yeah, that's about right. Right? Yeah. Because like the, the idea is, can correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's very simple, really. They just they raise interest rates until unemployment starts to go up, right? And then if unemployment's going up, that means the economy's cooling down. Mm -hmm. So now they can start lowering the interest rates. Yeah. But that hasn't happened. If anything, the labor market has tightened as we've gone up. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I, so that was the traditional logic. But honestly, we're in unprecedented times. And I think I said, I've been saying this sort of since last year, is like our old models and ways of thinking about the economy, it's not that we can't use them. It's that we need to use them with a healthy openness, all right, about how they could be wrong in this mm -hmm. environment. Because I think we really are in some uncharted territory, right? The magnitude of the change from the pandemic, all the retirements, this huge surge of entrepreneurship, all of the changing industry needs and the digitalization that happened during COVID like, is still playing out. And so I think what we're seeing is, yeah, you would think I jack up interest rates, people become employed, businesses slow down. We've at best drifted sideways in the labor market. But we have made significant progress on inflation. We've slowed down the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. We haven't got, what do they call it? De dis it's dis not disinflation. Yeah. We haven't gotten that. Where I was going with this is thinking like, we're just going to have high interest rates for a really long time now. So what I expect to happen is that they'll start taking pauses, right? Or at least 
skipping rates, yeah. rate increases. You know, we're up at a 22-year high. We might get a couple more bumps, but now that we're seeing inflation cool, my best guess is that they'll probably just think, let's just keep it here for a while, as long as it takes. And if inflation stalls, we can turn up the notch. And if inflation keeps going down and the labor market's healthy, then we might actually have this sort of un, unprecedented situation where we have really robust labor market and 2% inflation. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen because I think that model about uninflation and interest rates is still basically true. Um, but I think we can expect higher interest rates well into 2024, if not 2025. Okay. I just think it's going to take a long time for that to work itself out. So that's how we come back to the banks, mm -hmm. because if interest rates are going to stay high, mm -hmm. the banks have been enjoying all of this cheap, almost free, free for them money. money. Yeah. So they basically take money from the Fed. They loan it out to businesses, real estate often, mm -hmm. and, and it's easy to make a profit because they don't have to make that much on the money that's yeah. free. Yeah. But now when money costs what, I don't know what the federal funds rate is, but it's mm, like what, it's five, five and a half percent. Yeah. Right. So when they're paying five and a half percent, what do they have to earn on the loans that they're putting out there? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not small. Yeah. So their, their margin is thin. Yeah. And you mentioned on your podcast mm -hmm. that, and this is what stuck in my head, uh, is that these regional banks, these small banks, 80, 90% of them mm -hmm. have a, a significant amount of commercial real estate debt on yeah. their balance sheets. And that was all financed at these really super low interest rates. Super low interest yeah. rates. And so when you think about giving out a loan at the beginning, right, most of the time, like when you get a mortgage on your house, right, you know, you originate the whole loan, right? And you say, I'm going to get a loan for this whole house, right? And you do it at a time where you think you're likely to be able to pay it off into the future. That's not how it works with commercial real estate loans, which is why it's sort of so interesting. When you do commercial real estate, you get a loan for the whole amount, but you only finance it for like seven years, somewhere between five and 10 years. And so you basically have a payment schedule. And then at the end of five, seven or 10 years, you have to pay the whole rest of it in this balloon payment. Which is not even possible. Which is not even possible. Right. So you refinance it, right? And then you right. re and then you get an amount for like the next seven to 10 years. Right. So when all these loans were originated that are coming due, you know, you have to pay a significant chunk that needs to be refinanced, but the value of the loan that you originally got, which you need to refinance, is from when the money was cheap and assets were really highly valued. So you have much less profitable projects that needs to be valued at the old value. And so we expect banks to take losses on these, right? Because they just won't be profitable. Right. Like, And they haven't had to do it yet because they're holding all these loans on their mm -hmm. books at historical yeah. Values. Yeah. Right. So so that hasn't been marked to market. Mm -mm. So that's the that's the landmine that could be there. That's like right. That's that's, that's the landmine. Yeah. yeah. We might not know. I mean, and and what could be? How much could these shrink? Right. I mean, what office uh, office rates are down 20, 30 percent in some areas since the pandemic. Some yeah. places they're not down quite so much. But I mean, they're especially in um, like big cities, right, that are highly remote workable and where people have moved out to the suburbs or are only coming in one or two days a week. I mean, the value of these loans could go down significantly, yeah. right? And you, you sort of get these like jingle mail that would became very popular in the financial crisis where people would just mail the keys back to the bank, right? <laughs> Stop the payments and sort of call it in. And, yeah. you know, so you this, can see that. This is giving me echoes of the Great Recession, yeah. you know, because that was a mortgage crisis, mm -hmm. right? And it was essentially 
I mean, in some ways, it was very similar yeah. to what you're describing. Yeah. So, where, yeah, everyone's on these variable rate loans, mm -hmm. and suddenly the interest rates go up, and now yeah. nobody can afford them. Yeah. And it's basically the the owners of these buildings. Yeah. Low occupancy. Mm -hmm. Their renters are going to churn out, mm -hmm. and now the the property's not worth what it was, and suddenly their payments are going to have to go way up. Yeah. So that's right. are the banks going to end up owning a bunch of commercial real estate? Maybe so. You know? Yeah. I mean, I somebody's going to own up, and or yeah. excuse me, somebody's going to end up owning it. And I think the the saving grace of some of these banks will really determine how much of their commercial portfolio is in office space, because other types of commercial real estate are doing quite well. Warehouses are doing particularly well. Oh yeah, good point. Right. Yeah. So like retail space actually is doing better than you would think, especially since we're you know our our online shopping trends are actually returning to normal. Um, and so retail spaces, you know, having a little bit of a resurgence. So specifically hotels, hotels right? Specifically good. office space okay. is really struggling. So if you're a small bank and, you know, you're financing hotels and uh, warehouses and stuff, you this is not a thing for you to worry about, right? Those things are going to get refinanced overall. Okay. That's good. That gives me comfort. So <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, I was I was picturing the balance sheets. And I'm thinking, you know, a quarter of the balance sheet is these commercial loans. Yeah. If those all go bad, I mean, banks don't operate on a lot of equity. They do not. Right? No. Their their net position is pretty slim. Yeah. And that was the case with SVB. That's definitely the case with SVB. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely go and look at a bank's balance sheet. I think in my podcast, we put in the show notes where you can actually go and look at that information. But the thing to look at is how much of the total balance sheet is in commercial real estate and then how much of that is in offices. There are definitely banks out there who are holding 20% of their assets in offices. Yeah, that and I those would be banks, worried about. You know, if, yeah. if that portfolio loses 20% of its value, it took much less than that in a loss, right, to create a run on SVB. Yep. Okay, so that's, those are the banks we need to look out for. Yeah, yeah. those are the banks we do need they, to look out for. Do they typically disclose the breakdown of the commercial real estate portfolio? They typically do. Okay, yeah. so we can look into the financials mm -hmm. and we can see it. Yeah. Right, that sounds like a job for ChatGPT. <laughs> it sounds like a job for somebody for sure. I, I'm not reading 180 pages of financial <laughs> yeah. statements. Yeah, right now does. you have to go through one by one. It's much easier yeah. to look at like what's my specific bank doing, right? As opposed to, you know, generating the whole list of banks that you really want to keep an eye on. Okay. I'm going to go do some homework. <laughs> um, homework for our listeners is to listen to your new podcast. Yeah. It's called the Gustonomics Podcast. The Gustonomics Podcast. And yeah. The, that was really the impetus for this discussion was your first episode is all about commercial real estate That's right. loans yeah. and how they work. And yeah, I, I didn't know about that balloon thing that happens at the end of seven or years yeah. or whatever. But yeah, yeah that's, that's really fascinating. Like you wonder like why, imagine if we all had that on our houses, you know, and you had you to refinance not every five yeah. or six years. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the way mortgages work is so different, right? And we just don't think about all the other ways that loans could be structured. Yeah. Some of them are really not so good, right, for the people doing the borrowing. But in a way, you know, it's it's like kicking the can down the road mm -hmm. is what happens with those commercial loans. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And it works well as long as the economy is growing mm -hmm. and the buildings have occupancy and, you yeah. know, but not so good if it turns the other way. Yeah. Well, it also, I mean, could work well if just interest rates, right, if you sort of don't have these big jumps in interest rates, right, or you have some kind of a bridge program to sort of help, you know, you say, you could you could imagine a program where you say, you know, the interest rate on your specific loan can sort of never go up by more than this, that, or amount of the other, which is a protection that was put in for variable mortgages right okay. after the financial crisis. We haven't faced those problems yet, but I sort of imagine we could be having those conversations about commercial real estate loans. So everyone check out the Gustonomics podcast and also Gusto does 
really incredible research. Thank you. Reporting. Yes, I think we do. I think the last one was in August. That's right. Um, we'll put the link to that report in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Anything in particular you want to call out from that study? I mean, I think I I would just call out, you know, really it's the talent market that I think we're transitioning from this idea that the talent shortage, the great resignation is like a temporary thing that we're working through. And we're, I think we just need to get ready for the forever talent shortage. I think that talent and workers are going to be scarce for some time. And, you know, we are just going to have to figure out how to retain, how to train, how to develop people. So that whole program is called The Economy Explained. We put out a quarterly video blog post uh, to sort of talk about big trends in the economy and what they mean. Forever talent shortage and sounds like maybe forever interest rates. Maybe forever interest rates. (laughs) Definitely medium term interest rates for a while in interest rates. None of us can ever move again. If you bought a house... (laughs) You're stuck. Well, that's why housing prices haven't gone down, right? right? So interest rates went up. Everybody who owns a house owns it, you know, at yeah. 3% or less. And they're like, well, I can't buy a better house than the one I have now. Um, so they, you know, took their house on the mar- off the market or they're not putting it back on. And so all the buyers in the market are not only facing an increased interest rate, but they're not even getting that housing price reduction, right? That you would think of as being, you know, the result of a higher interest rate. Everything's counterintuitive. It's like the opposite of what we learn (laughs) in school growing up. And it must be an exciting time to be an economist. Yeah, uh, mostly because people are really exciting. I say in the podcast, and I will say it a lot, is that the economy is just people doing people stuff with other people all the time, right? And the dynamics of that are always rich and complex, and even more so in this time. Well, thanks for talking with me, Liz. Thanks, It was a pleasure. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark.